Good morning. This, uh, this morning's scripture reading is going to be from Romans 13, verses 11 through 14, talking about the day of salvation being near. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And again, the church says, Amen. Man, what a great day to be here. What time is it? You may have heard that before. Some of you may be sitting there looking at your watches. Oh, we are X number of minutes from kickoff. Some of you may be saying, oh, we're X number of minutes away from needing to adjust my fantasy football roster because somebody got injured and didn't get in the thing. Some of you may be saying, it is time to get home because the roast is in the oven. Somebody say... David Taylor and I, were out, were out, and I were out on the golf course. This has to be 10 years ago or more. And we're riding. We've had a few shots, I don't know, three or four holes into the, into the course out at the wilderness. And I, I'm not sure what prompted him. I think we were kind of in a shady spot. He pulls up and he says, he stops and he says, Alan, do you know what time it is? I thought, it's time for us to tee off. Um, it's time for me to hit a decent shot. Um, it's time for you not to beat me so badly for a while. David uh, was raised and was a, a very immersed in what's called premillennial dispensationalism. That is a view of how the end times come together that is very regimented with you see what's going on politically and you compare that to Daniel and Revelation and you build these blocks and say, Jesus is just around the corner. And he said, Alan, I think we're... And he then proceeded, 15 minutes, two groups went past us. He just waved them on because he was preaching and he needed to tell me about what time we were in. Paul also wants the people in Rome to know what time it is. The language that Paul is using here is in reality borrowed from Isaiah 49, and he's playing off that passage. He is using the linguistic keys to point his readers back to Isaiah 49. Not a big deal for Paul. Paul had probably memorized most of the Old Testament. And so when he could, he could just drop a couple of phrases, and what his readers were supposed to do is know that that was a hyperlink to go click that and go somewhere else so that you could understand what he was talking about. Isaiah 49, 8 says, At just the right time I will respond to you. And Paul says, you know the time, that it, the hour is already here. One is an anticipation, and Paul says, nope, we're there. Isaiah will say, on the day of salvation I will help you, looking forward to something an anticipation of something, and Paul says, nope, that salvation is nearer now. It is being revealed. There is an anticipation in Isaiah that Paul says we no longer need to sit around and wait for. But to understand what time it is for Paul, 
what time it is for the church in Rome, what time it is for the people of God, I think we need to go back and read the verses that surround this phrase in Isaiah 49. So read with me. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant. Isaiah has a lot of this language about the servant of God and that he's supposed to accomplish the things of God. Who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. I want you to see, hear that language. I'm a servant and I'm supposed to bring God's people closer to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength for this great task. But then verse 6. He says, you will do, say it with me, more. You will do more than restore the people of Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. You can substitute there a light for everybody. Can you say it with me? Everybody. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, the time of the Lord that he's pointing towards and the salvation of the Lord are not necessarily just about, in Isaiah, about the idea that there's a great coming of the Lord, that great getting up day, amen? When we will stand on Zion's summit and we will be united as a whole people of God. Every race, every color, every creed, all of us, amen, will be gathered there. And he says, but we don't have to wait for that day. This is the time. This is what the Lord says. At just the right time I will respond to you and on the day of salvation I will help you. This is that time. Paul is pointing those in the church of Rome and us today to end the night of division among people and particularly the division among those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Amen? He calls us to a unity in Christ that proclaims to the world that the time of the Lord is not some day we're pointing to, to way in the future but is a day that is imminently upon us. A day where the night gives way to the daytime, where the darkness gives way to the light, where the darkness of night and the deeds that go on at night give way to the daytime in Christ, where there is no provision for, and what Paul says here is flesh in the sense of satisfying fleshly desires. Instead, we don't want to put on the world stuff, we want to put on the Jesus stuff, amen? And in putting on the Jesus stuff, we are becoming a present reality of what God will fulfill when Jesus comes back to make all things new. In the middle of this, Paul does what we're kind of familiar with him doing. The move from darkness to light is a list of vices. And us good church people, we like these vices, don't we? They make us really happy to stand there and say, you sinful people carousing and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, don't they? They just roll off the tongue with disgust, don't they? These were in reality well known. And by the way, the Bible is not the one accusing particularly society in the city of Rome, but largely if you were a, an elite Roman citizen, you saw your role in being an elite Roman citizen to have big parties. And to invite friends to have a big, over to have big parties. Big parties where all kinds of dark things went on. The night 
part-time activities. I was reading one commentator. He said, you don't actually have to go to ancient Rome to see this. And by the way, there's a display of what things were like at that time at the Houston Museum of Natural Science in the Pompeii exhibit. And it's kind of amazing. Uh, By the way, not for children. Let's just say it that way. But the current commentators of the day made these accusations. What are we doing carousing? What are we doing in utter blind drunkenness? What are we doing where whoever you can sleep with, whenever you want to sleep with them, how can that be the backbone of society? These are not biblical writers saying this. These are the social critics of the day that are commonly saying there is a famous painting drawing, as it were, of the invasion of Rome. And that the barbarians break into this party where everybody is passed out drunk and naked. And the barbarians have arrived. And it's over. The party is over. And so it's very easy for us to sit there. And Paul says the night of Roman culture is coming to an end. And I think absolutely, let's make no mistakes about this, he's making sure that the church knows. And you have to be sure you say, making sure the church Gentile leaders and those who have some status in the Gentile society know, now, guys, this can't be part of what we're doing, okay? And I think they knew that, but he was reminding them that. But really what he was doing is getting them on board because the the conclusion of the list, as it almost always does with Paul's list of vices, stands in stark contrast to what Roman society was doing and becomes a clear warning the church if I said get rid of that carousing we would all say if I said get rid of that drunkenness and orgies you would all say if I said get rid of that and and by the way it's a great list because every version you read comes up with different English words to describe these things my favorite one is debauchery aren't we against debauchery but are we ready to say That we want to end quarreling. Are we ready to say that we're never going to look at our brother or sister in Christ with any kind of jealousy? Because Paul is calling the church to be something very different. We've called deacons today. A few months ago, we called elders. We call constantly call our church. We are to live a new life, a renewed life, a life that has seen Jesus and is changed because we've seen Jesus. We got to sit in Bible class this morning and hear about Croats and Serbs that aren't killing each other anymore. They're brothers in Christ and loving each other. We got to hear about Sunnis and Shiites, blood enemies who want to love each other because Jesus has changed things. I don't know what the challenges will be for us, but we are about to turn the page to chapter 14. And chapter 14 introduces some language that probably, if you've been around church very long, you've heard somebody talk about the weak and the strong. Chapter 13 ends to prepare us for how we will talk about the weak and the strong. The contrast thus far in Romans have largely been Jews and Gentiles. You can see it every single page you turn. 
This language is very simple. The language of these two chapters is not difficult to translate. It's not difficult to get the English meaning out of those words, but it is extremely difficult to interpret. What is the word for the church about how we are to get along? And how are we to see each other? And how are we to see our own selves in this process? As the highlighted verses here say, we're not going to get together for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Instead, we're not going to pass judgment on one another. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. And that final one, chapter 15, verse 7. Are we going to welcome one another just as Christ welcomed us? You see, there's only one way that's going to accomplish that unity. And I can promise you, I did not know the content of Monty's presentation today when this sermon was being put together. There is only one way to accomplish that unity, and it is by putting on Christ. This is language that ties us right back, again, one of those hyperlink kind of things, that ties us right back to Romans chapter 6, where he said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into Christ? We have put off the old self. We've been raised to a new self. Jesus wants to do something more with us. And yes, we do say, free of sin and full of the Spirit. Amen? Fitted for heaven. I love that phrase. Fitted, I'm already ready for what God's going to do. But we're not just fitted for a heaven that's then. We're fitted to bring a kingdom of God here and now. Amen? And yes... The insertion of the kingdom needs to affect our neighborhoods. And the insertion of the kingdom needs to affect our city and state and our nation. The insertion of the kingdom needs to change the world. But Paul says, you know where it's going to start? It's going to start in the family of God. And the way we live with each other has to be about providing a unity that says to the world... The stuff out there is not going to define how we're going to love each other in here. Amen. Put on Christ. So as he called us to be living sacrifices, as he called us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, I would say to you that as he comes to the end of chapter 13, he is saying, put on Christ so that we can be called to Christoformity. You may have wondered why the guy on the rock has been holding out his arms all this time through all these lessons. It's because he is symbolically saying, I want to be a living sacrifice on the cross of Christ. I will let nothing that is of the flesh and of my human darkness keep me from the love that Christ would have me have for one another. I don't know who, I don't know what it is that makes you walk down that aisle as opposed to that aisle so that you don't have to run into that person. I don't know what makes you run out the door real quick so I don't have to see such and such. I don't know what it is that you might say, 
boy, that sounds like a really good ministry I'd like to get into, but I'm not sure I want to work with that person. Whatever those things are, Christ is bigger than those things. Somebody say. And so, as always, the good news always, always leads us to the cross. The good news of freedom from sin leads us to the cross. The good news that Christ is coming again to make us to make all things new leads us to the cross. The message that we have to overcome the human stuff that separates us so that we can be his witnesses in this world right here right now on Yopon Street in Lake Jackson, Texas is the cross. So the invitation, the invitation is to take up, again, you're not taking up Jesus' cross. You don't even get my cross. I've got mine. You get to pick up yours, and we get to walk together with Jesus. I invite you to a conversation that has to first start with reading Romans 14 and 15 and to ponder what it is to think about what he calls the strong and the weak in that congregation. And I think he has some particular meanings for that. And we'll get into that in next week's sermon. I want you to ask questions. What is it that God is calling me to cruciform, Christoform, so that I can be who God needs me to be? Right here and right now with these people. If you're online with us and you'd like to join in that conversation, the number's there and you can send us a message there and we will pick that up and start that conversation. But you know what? How do you take up your cross? The first step to taking up the cross is saying, I want to die to self, leave behind sin, and I want to be raised to new life. If today is the day that you need to do that so that you can move on, to being part of his mission, to bring the world together under the lordship of Christ. And man, today would be a great day to come. Somebody say, amen. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing? Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Jesus.